0: Again, if you are able, please rise as we read God's Word together from Zechariah 10 and just a few uh, verses 1-5. to 5. Hear the reading of God's Word. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain from the Lord who makes the storm clouds and He will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation and the field. For the households God utters nonsense and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore their people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler of all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, in your word, you tell us that the grasses that we see growing here and now, the flowers that are blooming, they will fade and they will die. And in the same sentence, you tell us that your word, it will stand firm and true forever and ever. So Lord, uphold that promise here and now today. Carry your word to the people gathered here today. Use the words of this, Your servant, to show Your grace, to mold and shape lives, because of the glory and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as I said, it's good to be back, and I'm glad to be back in the book of Zechariah. Um, and it's we've made a bit of a transition in Zechariah from um, certain things that are... Taking place into things that will take place. And Zechariah 10 and even 9 has, has shown some of that. But just to give you a trajectory of where we're headed here in these few verses, I want to take a little bit of a, two different tacks. The thrust of this, these few short verses is the fact that Jesus cares for his flock. That's the whole point of these five verses. Whatever happens, Jesus takes care of us and he is our shepherd. And so, what does that mean? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Arguably some of the most well-known verses in all of scripture. Perhaps the most well-known other than maybe John 3:16, There's a reason that so many people love these verses. The reason is because it reveals the vulnerability of who we are, right? It reveals our existence, but at the very same time, it also shows us who the Lord is. And we live in these worlds of who we are and who God is. And verses like this just reveal that in amazing and special ways. It reveals our longing, obviously, for soft grass. It reveals our longing for cool waters, Look at our grass right now. It's green. Hopefully, if you've watered and fertilized, your grass looks green too. The flowers are budding. Ours are doing just that. It's green and lovely. But in just a few short months, remember that we live in Texas and it's going to be brown and there's going to be prickers and all of these wonderful things that Texas summer brings The grasses will go brown. The flowers will fade. And this is life also, isn't it? We long for the freshness and newness of life. We long to lie down in a lush green bed of grass because that's way more enjoyable than lying in a dusty field full of prickers. The Lord, according to the psalmist, is the one who leads us back to that fresh water into those green pastures. These last few weeks for me have been a little bit like August in Texas. A time of emotional and physical exhaustion. Losing a loved one. I lost my father about four weeks ago. Losing a loved one is difficult, but these past few weeks have had me searching and looking for green pastures and quiet waters. I know for a fact that many in this congregation know exactly what that feels like. But the Lord says to us this morning that He is our shepherd. Not only in Psalm 23, but here in Zechariah 10, believe it or not, we see the wonderful illustration that the Lord cares for His flock, that He is our shepherd. He Is the one that leads us. And so this morning I want to go in two different directions. The first direction is I briefly want to talk about what it means for the Lord to be our shepherd. And the second path I want to go down after that is to show what does that mean in Zechariah 10 1 to 5. What does that mean for us that the Lord is our shepherd in these few verses? So, what does it mean that the Lord is our shepherd? We hear that all the time, right? The Lord is our shepherd. We just stated Psalm 23, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, he restores my soul for his name's sake. And we get warm and gushy and we think that's great. The Lord is my shepherd. The first thing that we need to understand about a shepherd is that he has sheep. <laughs> Without sheep, a shepherd is just a dude wandering around in the wilderness with nowhere to go. A shepherd has sheep. If there are no sheep to move, then a the shepherd doesn't have a role to play. Without sheep, he's just another guy. The sheep in Zechariah 10 have been led astray by bad shepherds. They weren't led to green pastures and quiet waters, they were led to dirty ground with lots of prickers and muddy water. And the Lord is very upset. This is what Jesus saw when He was on, in His earthly ministry as well, right? We, we know this from Matthew's go- Gospel from chapter 9. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then here in Zechariah 10.3, we are told that the Lord's anger is hot against the false shepherds who have led the people astray. And sometimes, as I've told you many, uh, before, sometimes the Bible just makes us laugh and it uses language that's not exactly nice or kind. It doesn't come through in the English language as it does in the Hebrew, but there's a derogatory term for these shepherds. He calls them he goats, right? So in Hebrew, it often puts a, a masculine or a feminine pronoun on a, on a word. You know, sometimes there's, there's funny stories in the, in the Old Testament too, like she bears. There's, there's a story about she bears. And here he's calling these shepherds he goats. It's a derogatory term for leaders, And shepherds, for pastors, people who lead the Lord's flock. The Lord is not happy. And then further in 10.3, the prophet says that the Lord will punish these leaders. Why? Because the Lord cares for His people. This then is the promise that must resonate with us this morning. This is what must resonate in our minds and our souls and our emotions, our lives, that even though there may be leaders that lead us astray, even though that life may get hard, even though there is death, even though there's sickness, even though there are struggles and hardships and trials, the Lord still cares for his flock. And he still is our shepherd. In John's Gospel, it says that none of us, none of His sheep could ever be snatched from His hands. Once you are in the sheepfold of the Lord, you cannot be removed. No matter the trial, no matter the struggle, the hurt, the pain, when the Lord is your shepherd, you are His sheep, and you are safe and secure. So what is it about this promise that should actually resonate with us this morning? Namely, that the Lord has sheep. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture, according to Psalm 100 verse 3. This then is what I want us to take away from Zechariah 10. If you don't hear anything else that I say for the next few minutes... Know that. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are his. But it is no accident that we are called sheep. (laughs) One person puts it this way. We are so remarkably similar to sheep. We have a mass mind or mob instinct, Our fears, our timidity, our stubbornness, stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance according to author Philip Keller who spent years as a shepherd and wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. These are hard things to hear about ourselves, isn't it? I don't like to be called a sheep. I don't like to be called stubborn. I don't like to be called stupid. I don't like to be called any of these things. I don't like to be part of a mob instinct. And yet, this is what sheep do. And the Lord calls us sheep because we are remarkably similar. But then how much more grace is shown by the Lord if we look at ourselves in that way? How much more grace does it show on the Lord's behalf When he tells us that he cares for us and loves us in the middle of those imperfections, in the middle of our mob mentality, in the middle of our fears, in the middle of our timidity, in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our hurts and pains and lives and our stubbornness and yes, perhaps even sometimes our stupidity, the Lord still says, I love you. He still says he's going to be the one that leads us to green pastures, to quiet waters. This is the care that Zechariah is talking about of the Lord that our shepherd always goes before us. Perhaps, though, that you are like me and you wonder about the Lord, and you read things like this, and you read Zechariah 10, and you start asking questions, and the Lord tells us he cares for us, and he says, I am your shepherd and I always care for you. And you ask the question, okay, how? I understand that you, you're my shepherd. I understand Psalm 23 that you lead me into green pastures and beside quiet waters, but sometimes in life it just doesn't look that way. And it just seems really difficult and really hard, and I'm not quite sure what all this means or looks like. Or maybe it's even more fundamental than that. Lord, do you care for me? But sometimes I just wonder, do you love me? Or is that just for those other good Christians in church? What about my life, my story? As I read this small section of Zechariah, it occurred to me that the Lord is answering my questions. My one main question Do you love me? Do you care for Ryan? And the Lord says, Yes, I do. So, how? How does He care for Ryan? How does He care for you? How does He care for Redeemer Arlington? Verse 1 provides us with the first way in which the Lord cares for His people. Simply put, He answers prayer. He answers prayer. But there's something fascinating about the structure of this prayer that we see here in Zechariah 10 and how it is that the Lord answers prayer or at least tells us the posture we are to have about prayer. Let me say something about prayer for just a few moments. Prayer at its core is a mechanism to further a relationship with the Lord. In the same sense that speaking to your spouse or your children or your best friend is a way in which a relationship is built and, and strengthened and furthered, so too is prayer. If we never talk to our spouse, if we never talk to our children, if we never talk to our best friends, we don't have a very good relationship with them. In the same sense, prayer is that mechanism in which and by which our relationship with the Lord is strengthened and preserved. Prayer is vitally important to the life of the Christian. It's a large component of a healthy, healthy relationship with the Lord or in any other relationship. We have to talk. We have to have communication. But the interesting thing about prayer in Zechariah 10 is the manner in which we pray or our posture when it comes to prayer. Prayer is not a cosmic wishing well. You've heard that before. I understand It's not a slot machine. You don't throw your prayers into the fountain of heaven and hopefully in a couple of hours or days you get what you want out of that prayer that you flipped into the fountain of heaven. The Lord just somehow answers your prayer because you prayed it. But isn't that often how we approach it? We just throw our prayer up to heaven and we just cross our fingers and we hope, man, I hope God answers this prayer. So what is prayer? How, how How do we go about prayer? In Zechariah 10, it says to ask. In other places, it says, ask, seek, and knock. And we are told that the Lord, even in Psalm 91, that he will answer our prayers. But how is it that we are to pray? This is not a a sermon point on, should we pray for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, or should we pray for 10 seconds? The Lord loves it when we talk to him for whatever length it is, whether it's for two seconds or 20 hours. The Lord wants you to pray. and He wants a relationship with you. He wants all of you. This is what the Psalms teach us bring our joys, bring our sorrows, bring our wonder, our questions. But ask, seek, and knock. But here in Zechariah, it tells us how to pray. It says, What? Ask rain from the Lord in the season of rain. In other words, we don't ask for snow in August in Texas, it wouldn't make any sense. Because this is not the created order that the Lord has set in place. So when we say we pray in, pray in the will of the Lord, what does that mean? It prays in the character of the Lord. It means to pray in what he has set up as the natural way of created order. Here in Zechariah 10, it's, it's, it's telling the people to pray in the springtime so that your crops will grow. That's a good prayer because you need food to eat. And you need money to pay for things. It's right and good to pray for rain in the spring. But it's also right and good for the farmer to pray in the fall no rain, because I have to gather in my grain. But if it rains, it makes it really hard. But we pray in the cycle of the created order. We pray in the character of the Lord, for this is what the Lord has done. So it's right to pray for rain in the spring. It also to, tells us to pray in humility. We're to pray for the rain to the one who has created the clouds, which caused the rain to fall to the ground. We don't control the rain. We don't control the sun or the moon or the stars. As Psalm 8 has said, and even as I prayed here this morning, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. The Lord is the one that does these things for us. What we saw in chapter 9 is that the people to whom Zechariah was preaching were in the middle of drought. They had a right to pray for rain. They should pray for rain. But it wasn't a drought of crops. It was a drought of shepherds and leaders who couldn't lead them to green pastures or quiet waters or to the Lord. They had the right as God's people to have such leadership, but they didn't. So Zechariah uses an illustration of harvest and rains of how to pray. It's right that the people of God would have good shepherds to lead them. They should pray for that. You should pray for that. We should pray for that, that we would have good shepherds to lead us to these things, to lead us towards God. These are right prayers, good prayers People were dependent upon something they could not control, just like the rain. Therefore, turn to God in prayer because he is the one who can make it rain. It is his power which governs and controls all things. In other words, when we pray, we pray according to the will and the character and the nature of the Lord our God. And so if we pray against that character and nature and will of the Lord, he will not hear and he will not respond because that's not who he is. This is why we don't pray just to give information to other people about other people. This is why we don't pray as a gossip line to talk about so-and-so's daughter who is doing such and such. This is why we don't pray about um, whatever gossip we may think of. When we pray, we pray to the Lord the one who set his glory above the heavens. We pray in his character. We pray in his will. We pray to him. We pray with trust in him that he will indeed supply all of our needs. Verse 1 concludes, as we do with this, he will give them showers of rain. The first way the Lord cares for his people as that he answers our prayer as we pray in His character and in His will. The second way in which the Lord cares for His people is that He secures salvation for us. The Lord cares for His sheep by answering their prayers, and He cares for them by securing salvation. In verse 4, we are told just how it is that the Lord will secure salvation for His sheep. First, as He answers prayer, He will provide new leadership, and that new leadership will come from the line of Judah. Judah. It should begin to prick our memories of of our Bible histories and of our Bible knowledge. Interestingly enough, if you remember those Bible genealogies, it seems another humbled shepherd boy by the name of David was a part of the line, as was someone else. Read Matthew chapter 1 and you will see that line of Judah and the shepherds that are involved and Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep comes from the line of Judah that Zechariah is talking about here in Zechariah chapter 10. Verse 4 may have had some contemporary benefits as the Lord did indeed strike down the enemies of the people of God, but also was looking forward to other future battles over God's enemies. But without any doubt, the hope that the prophet was looking forward is the day of the coming of the Christ, the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. He was looking forward to Matthew's gospel who was citing Malachi's prophecy. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Let's take a look at verse 4 a few steps further down. A few steps further down the road of the Messianic prophecy or the prophecies about the Messiah. From him... Judah, shall come the cornerstone, which echoes Isaiah 28, verse 16, which says this, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Then Ephesians 2, as we go to the New Testament, talking of the same things, the Apostle Paul speaks to the church in this way, Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It's all pointing to Jesus, Isaiah, Zechariah, Paul. The cornerstone not only sets the foundation, but secures the entirety of the foundation and of the building in order that the building may be completed. In this way, Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. Or in other words, secures our salvation. It is his life, his death, and his resurrection that establishes the dimensions of the church and provides us with new life. Let's go back just for a second to Zechariah chapter 3 if you want to flip there or point there on your phone or whatever it is in chapter 3, verse 9. Zechariah likes this idea of stones, he likes this, this imagery, he likes this understanding, he likes the fact that the Lord gave him these illustrations. In 3 9, it says these words See? The stone I have set in front of Joshua, there are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will grave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. How? That stone does that. The stone that is Jesus Christ, it's on this stone, the cornerstone that salvation is secure. Surely this is the stone, is the crucified and living Savior Jesus Christ. The same stone that Paul was talking about to the church at Ephesus. It's the same one that Zechariah talks about Same one that Isaiah talks about. And so as we go about our lives in a world that is shifting and rising and falling and on every social and contemporary wave, it is such a wonderful comfort to know that we have a cornerstone, isn't it? A cornerstone that doesn't flip or flop, but is set. A wonderful comfort to know that the great shepherd of the sheep has been laid in place as a secure foundation upon which we can never Be moved. This is exactly what the prophet wants the audience that he's speaking to to know, and what the Lord wants us to know today. That as his sheep, there is nothing. Nothing can remove us from his loving hand, nothing can move us from his strong embrace. He is our strong tower. He is our fortress. He is our refuge. He is our strength. Salvation is secure in the cornerstone of our lives in the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. And then finally, the Lord cares for His people because He defeats our enemies. In verse 5, we see an image of the, Lord, of the Lord's people trampling over the enemies as they lay in the muddy streets. The image of riders being put to shame is a powerful image So in that day, you've all seen movies, right? You've seen The Lord of the Rings. You've seen these massive hordes of cavalry charges where hundreds of thousands of horses come charging down a mountain in a cloud of dust. And the orcs are terrified because they don't know what's about ready to hit them. Maybe I'm dating myself, perhaps. But a cavalry charge of thousands of horses was the most powerful, intimidating thing that could face an infantry soldier in that day. There was nothing more fearful than a rider on a horse charging at full speed with a spear in hand. And all you could do is stand there and wait and take it. Let alone thousands of cavalry in a battalion charging your way. And here in verse 5, the Lord says, That rider we put to shame in the mud of the streets. A cavalry charge isn't much of a charge when it's bogged down by mud. They're not successful. They cannot be because you can take advantage of their slowness. And here the Lord says, I will make them shameful in the muddy streets. You see, the enemies of God's people have no power or majesty for the Lord, and He is the one that will put them to shame. They will fall at the hands of the Lord God Almighty. It is the image of perseverance and triumph that we long for as our own as well, don't we? For we know too well the battles of our lives, the struggles of our lives. Now I'm willing to bet that none of us are going to be faced down with a battalion of cavalry this afternoon. We're not going to have to force our way to stand up to a charge like that. But there are all kinds of forces that may come into our lives here this afternoon or this week, And we will be terrified and we will wonder, can I get out of this situation? Am I am I strong enough? Am I able? Am I am I I going to succeed? Or am I gonna fail? Am I gonna die? Am I gonna We know our hurts, we know our brokenness. Comes back to the image of the shepherd then. Watching over his flock. What a precious image to behold. The fact that the great shepherd loves us enough that, as Jesus said, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This is where we find our victory. In the accomplished work of Jesus Christ, as he claims us as his own. We started this morning with a picture of a shepherd. Of how the Lord is our shepherd. How he leads us to green pastures and quiet waters, and I want to end with a similar image of a shepherd. One scholar gave us five things to look at as a shepherd, and I'm just going to, again, steal from him. A shepherd owns his sheep, they are his property for the simple reason that he paid for them. In the same sense, Jesus has paid for each of his sheep. The price was his blood. You were ransomed from your feudal ways, Peter writes, inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, that, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The great shepherd, the sheep, has paid for each and every one of you through his sacrifice. A shepherd makes his sheep his own. Once a shepherd has purchased his sheep, he makes them his own. The shepherd leads them out of the sheep pen where he bought the sheep and brings them into his own sheep pen. Jesus says he calls them by name and he leads them out. He goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A shepherd then places his mark upon them to distinguish them from other sheep. Well, that's a brand or a cutting of an ear. He puts a mark on his sheep so that everyone else would know that this is my sheep and not your sheep. And then Jesus does the same for us. He puts his mark of love and grace. And oftentimes that brand or that clip of an ear is done in pain and hurt. And the mark that Jesus puts on us is the cross. It was through Jesus' pain and hurt that we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we are made Jesus' sheep. And then after he buys them and marks them, he delights in caring for them. This then is the ultimate care that the Lord has for his sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. He stands between the enemy and us as the one who took the sin and guilt and shame and does not allow the enemy to come any further. We know the stories of David fighting off bears and lions or whatever it is. Jesus stands between us and the enemy or even more, We're told that he intercedes for us. Between a holy and righteous God and our brokenness, Jesus stands in the gap. And he cares for us. And he makes me lie down in green pastures. So, the question I have for you this morning do you hear the voice of your shepherd? Do you hear the voice of the one who laid down his life for you? The one who stands in the gap for you? The one who has bought you with the price of his own life for you? If you do not hear his voice this morning, I urge you to see the marred hands of the spotless Lamb who is the great shepherd of the sheep, and see how much He cares and loves you. So much so that He lays down His life for you in order that you would be healed. If you do hear His voice this morning, know this. He cares for you. He loves you. And He leads us to green pastures and quiet waters. So my prayer then this morning for each of us is that we would follow our shepherd as He leads us just there to green pastures, to quiet waters, and down paths of righteousness. For His name's sake. This is how the Lord cares for us. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we give You thanks for Your care for us. How You have bought us, how You've marked us, how You've made us Your own, and how You continue to care for us each and every day. And so Lord, as we go through our days our weeks, our months, and our years. May we be in tune to hear Your voice and to follow when You call. May we trust that You lead us to the green pastures and quiet waters and down the paths of righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.